Good morning, everybody. Uh, like Nick said, I am Rob. I'm one of the elders here at Covenant. And this morning, I have the pleasure of continuing our Path of Life series based on the seven deadly sins. So you've already heard about lust, pride, and greed and their accompanying virtues. Uh, in the future weeks, you're going to hear about chastity, humility, and charity. And this week, I have the pleasure of talking to you about sloth and its counterpart, diligence. But before we start, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this congregation, for this family. I just ask that you help me to speak clearly and that you open your word to us. Help us to understand. Help us to be convicted. Help us to change our lives to better reflect you and your glory. In your name, amen. So, most of us are from Ohio. Um, If you didn't notice, this weekend it actually became summer in Ohio. (laughs) And for the last month or so, we weren't sure if it was going to happen. Um, but we got here. Uh, and now for me, my wife, as you know, I'm a college professor, right? Apparently newly tenured. My wife is an online high school teacher. So the summer for us means one really big thing. The school year comes to an end. And all of the things that we've been putting off for nine months, we actually get to do. And most of the time, that means projects. So a week ago, we started our first big summer project. In our backyard, we have this concrete patio. And if any of you have concrete patios, you know you have to come up and reseal these, right? Uh, Ours was a little slippery and stuff, so it's about five, six years old. So we put it off for a year and two years, maybe three years. We added a fourth year, (laughs) right? So this had to get done. It was something we really had to pay attention to. So we started this process, right? We took all the furniture, everything off of the patio, Uh, The kids were playing, my neighborhood kids were out, my wife was super gracious and took the kids and was hanging out with the neighbors while I got to fire up the power washer, right? So this is fun for most guys, and basically for most anybody, high-powered washer spraying, or high-powered water spraying out of a hose, right? So this is a blast, so I'm like going to town, cleaning this thing back and forth, I accidentally ended up doing a whole additional sidewalk, Um, you know, all this, but there were a couple spots on that patio, it just had this tinge of green algae, right? And, you know, power washer, you're supposed to stay away a little bit. I'm washing. This is not working. I'm getting closer and closer. Here, I'm thinking I'm going to destroy my patio. Well, that doesn't work. Take it off. Take the tip off. Put on another tip, which is supposed to be, like, more intense. We go through the same process. Nothing happens. So, we have lunch. And after lunch, uh, the kids go out to play. I run to Home Depot. We get some brushes. So we have two hand brushes. I buy this brush with these big plastic heavy bristles and the broom on it. And the kids are playing, and me and my wife are there with a bucket of bleach. And it is, you know, spill the bleach water, scrub. Like, just scrubbing on our hands and knees, just back-breaking work. And at some point, I look up, and I see my kids and the neighbor kids in our yard. And they're running back and forth to the play set. They've all been sunblocked up. They're like frolicking in the water playfully as they're in their uh, swimsuits. They're super happy, right? And being the the wonderful father that I am, what I think is, (laughs) I wish I was them. (laughs) When when is my six-year-old going to come scrub this off for me, right? Like, I I might be a little early on this, hoping the kids will do the work for me. Um, But then it immediately hit me because I was also preparing for the sermon. I was like, are we being diligent here? Or maybe are my kids being slothful in the yard? Should, should they be doing some more purposeful work, helping scrub this? Uh, 
you know, what does that look like? And are we really being diligent in what we're doing? So I'm going to let that question sort of open and ride till the, the end of the message. Kids, if you, you can think about that too, because I know that all of you have played really well while your parents have worked really hard, and you've seen them, right? So think about all those times. You've been having a good old time while your parents were working. And we're all going to dig into this concept of sloth and the corresponding virtue of diligence. So to start this whole thing, of course, because every good topic starts with this, I googled sloth. And the first place you end up is some mix of dictionary.com and Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which is great, right? So the first definition that pops up is exactly what you think a sloth. Disinclination to action or labor. Basically lazy, right? Not doing work. That's a great one. The second one is one that's probably less well-known, but it's more the sense we're talking about sloth here. That's spiritual apathy or inactivity, this sort of spiritual, I don't care, right? I, I have no desire. I just don't care. Uh, for the rest of you out here who are like me and are sort of info junkies, there are two other definitions. Uh, the, one, the other one you all thought of was the mammal, right? The thing that hangs in trees and can like, die and just hang on for 40 days or something like that and grows moss on its back and all these fun facts. The last one, which just shocked me, is a pack of bears is also called a sloth. So, you know, now you know. But the important thing here is to remember that sloth is not just this initial reaction of being lazy, of being inactive. It's this idea of not caring, of not being concerned, of not being thoughtful. So even though most likely you had a little reaction like, I'm not lazy, I'm not going to be a sloth, I know he's going to convict me here, I'm not going to be a sloth. Well, don't ask that. Don't say, I'm not lazy. Is there anything you don't care enough about? Right? So we want to turn this just a little bit um, because it really is about this care. Because sloth is not just about our activity, not just about our work. It's about our heart and our motivation. So we want to unpack that a little bit, and I'm going to base a lot of what I'm going to say today off a book that I recently came across. It's a free PDF online. I'll make sure to share it with you all. It has a wonderful name. It's called Killjoys, The Seven Deadly Sins. And the chapter on sloth, uh, I really enjoyed, breaks being a sloth down into three different types of sloth. And the first one of those is the sluggard. Characterized by idleness, the sluggard desires everything and every comfort, yet is unwilling to sacrifice or work for anything. They care little for their daily life and the needs of those around them. So the first thing we want to know about the classic sloth, the sluggard, is that they desire everything. They desire recognition and money, and fame, and power, and clothes, and food. Whatever it is, they desire it, but they're not willing to work for it. They're not willing to put in the effort to get there. In Proverbs, we hear this exact same thing. In Proverbs 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. In Proverbs 21, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. So the sluggard is in this position where they crave everything but aren't willing to put in the effort to actually earn it. This is contrasted with the typical verse you hear about the sluggard from Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Because all this really boils down to the fact that to a sluggard, there's always tomorrow. Everything can always be done tomorrow, and there's always tomorrow. Now, the one note I do want to put on this whole thing is, especially when we read Scripture, the sluggard is often uh, coupled with poverty. Laziness does not always lead to poverty, and not all who are in poverty are lazy. There's tons of situations in life that can put any of us in an impoverished situation in so many different ways for any number of reasons. And as Christians, it's our responsibility to be able to discern those, to know, hey, is this really someone that needs motivated? They're being sluggard-like? Or is this somebody that needs graciously loved and cared for and supplied for because they've been impoverished for some reason? So a small aside, but something to keep in mind. So we have the sluggard who doesn't like to work. The second type of sloth is, I think it'll be the kid's favorite, of, uh, especially if they play Minecraft, the zombie, right? Characterized by an addiction to distracted busyness, the zombie is numb to the world. So when we read our Bibles in the first couple chapters of Romans, we have this idea that all of creation testifies to the existence of God and to his law and all of these things. This is that feeling when if you get to go to the beach, you can look down at the sand and you're like, wow, there's a lot of sand. And you look out at the ocean and you read, those waves are huge and powerful and this ocean just goes on forever. And then the day passes and you look at the sky and you're like, how many stars are there? I read that thing about the planets and the galaxies and the universe and this ball of hot flaming gas that keeps us alive called the sun. And oh, what about that other thing? Oh, DNA and the way our bodies work and just all this stuff in nature that just holds us in awe, that should just grab our attention and suck us in. And the zombie just thinks, man, I can't wait till that next episode on Netflix. Because the zombie can't do this. They're constantly seeking distraction. They're continually distracted, continually Netflixed, continually Facebooked, continually Fortnited, continually Minecrafted, tweeting their lives away as they are slowly Instagrammed to death. And the zombie can be hard to spot sometimes because they're not your classic sloth, right? They get things done just enough, just enough so that they can bring up the next tweet, just enough so they can read the next article. But they always go back to this distraction that isn't as valuable as really where they really are. Their attention is always being diverted to entertainment and these menial pleasures. In short, they're numb to real life. Right? The zombie is numb to the most important realities of life. So we have the sluggard who doesn't work. We have the zombie who is numb. And then we have the third type, which I think is the most surprising and is the type of sloth that most convicts me and perhaps most convicts our culture. And that's the workaholic. Characterized by self-centered labor, the workaholic finds their identity and their ability to work and achieve in order to bring themselves honor and earn their way to the top. They are frustrated by anyone or anything that doesn't help them achieve their goals. I think this one is tough, and I think this has some real meaning to it. So if you remember in Mark 4, 
Christ tells a parable, the parable of the sowers. He talks about sowing the seed, the seed is the gospel, and how it falls on different types of soil, which are people, right? And they grow up in different ways. So the gospel invested in people results in different fruit. Well, in verses 18 and 19, Christ says this, And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You see, this is where the workaholic comes from, because the workaholic has their priorities all backwards. They're worried about this succeeding and success and earning money, but they have no healthy boundaries, right? So the problem with the workaholic actually isn't that they work too much. Right? You can work long, long hours and not be a workaholic. You can work five hours a week and still be a workaholic. Why? Because the problem with the workaholic is that they can't disconnect. And when you can't disconnect, they're always distracted in the small and tender moments of life. They're always choosing work over opportunities to be present with the people and the things that really matter. Right? Because the thing that the workaholic really forgets is that in God's economy, work is not a showcase for self, but a means for supporting others. Vocation is love intent on meeting others' needs. Let me say that again. In God's economy, work is not a showcase for self, but a means for supporting others. Vocation is love intent on meeting others' needs. So we have these three, right? So we have the sluggard that won't work, we have the zombie that's always distracted, and we have the workaholic whose priorities are backwards and can't disconnect. All of these sloths are desperately trying to attempt to control their life in order to preserve some comfort. They dread being interrupted by the needs of others. They have lazy souls, they are bored with God, and they are doomed to a slow death. And this is all of us. All of us are slothful in some way, in some aspect of our life, with something we do or somewhere that we are. And I will be the first to confess to this. All right, so as you heard, I'm a professor. My wife is an online high school teacher. So we have a lot of flexibility in our schedules. And like most working parents, we have to work out childcare. So the way we do that is we trade times back and forth, and then we mix in a little bit of extra childcare, day to care, uh, and a few babysitters. Thank you to all of you who are in the audience right now. And it all works, right? And this is awesome. And I get to spend this one-on-one time with my kids. We've been doing this since my son was born, so about six years. If you would have asked me six years ago how this was going, I would have told you, terrible. I hate this. I don't want to do it. We had a couple kids. It didn't really get better. In fact, even if you asked me a year ago, I'd say, we've worked it out, but I'm not so happy. Why? I am a tenure-track professor. I'm important. I have papers to write, things to read, students to meet with, classes to teach. By gosh, I have emails to check. Okay? This stuff needs to get done. So what does this amazing father do? This amazing father, when we're not like running errands and going to the store, we go up into the playroom, I just bring my laptop with me. I bring my phone with me, and here I am, right? This wonderful time I get to hang out with my kids, invest in them, play with them, get to know them. And sure, I play, but then Dad wanders off into the corner, opens the laptop screen, flips open the phone that's sitting on the side of the toy box, normally only to be reminded by a little, Daddy, Daddy, 
play with me. Play with me, Daddy. Be a puppy. Right? Now, that's workaholism, right? Like, am I? Who am I? Four hours. Four hours, folks. Can the emails not wait for four hours? I'm not that important. The world is not going to fall apart. But what was important was my kids disconnecting from my work so that I could connect with my kids and put the value there. I mean, I'm not a person that typically regrets much. But this is one thing that I don't want to regret, that I don't want to miss out on. I'm constantly working on changing and improving. And we're all like this in some way, right? I mean, I can tell you stories, too, about me being a zombie, and it normally involves Netflix somewhere around 10 at night going till 2 or 3 a.m. Right? But we all do this in some aspect of our lives, somewhere, some way, somehow. We are all doing this. And the question is, where and when and how are we doing that, and how do we identify them? So that's sloth. The virtue associated with sloth is diligence, right? The counterpart. The moment I said diligence, I know what's running through your heads. Diligent. The diligent student, they got the A. The diligent worker, they got the bonus, right? Like they fought the fight. They ran. Yes. This is Rocky from the old movies, right? Diligent, working out all the time. And that's right in a lot of aspects. So if we do the same thing, we do a little Google search on diligence, bring up Merriam-Webster, Marriott with dictionary.com, the first definition you see is steady, earnest, and energetic effort. Great. We all know what that is. Um, the second one is if any of you are lawyers, you probably thought of this first, and that's due diligence. That's the legal requirement to make sure you're prepared and have done everything required of you by law, which is due diligence. Then there's this other definition, which they did something in the dictionary I did not know could be done. So this definition starts with parentheses, and the first word is obsolete. So we just sort of gave up. There's a definition of diligence that we just sort of gave up on, and we marked it as obsolete. And that is care or caution. So we have this idea of diligence, steady, earnest, and energetic effort, due diligence, this care, this caution, which is much more the sense of diligence uh, as the seven deadly sins, right, were penned. Personally, I think diligence is best defined in contrast to sloth, right? Because diligence is basically the negation of sloth. So we have the sluggard who seeks comforts, turning a blind eye to responsibility and need. The diligent seek to bring God glory with the work of their hands. They consider Proverbs 6, that ant, and demonstrate initiative, self-direction, respect for time, the ability to finish jobs, foresight for the future, and planning. The workaholic clutches onto their own self-worth, losing the ability to find true rest in God. The diligent develop boundaries, allowing them to invest in what truly matters. God, the gospel, and the people around them. The zombie reaches the true epitome of words best penned by C.S. Lewis when he writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and ambition and Netflix and Facebook and Twitter and Hulu and Instagram and Minecraft and side hustles when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the diligent Christian knows what diligence is because we've read our Bible. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, remember what God has done. That's what the diligent do. In Deuteronomy 6, the diligent teach God's words to their children. 
they keep all of God's commandments. It's not a big requirement or anything. Um, In Deuteronomy 14, this is one of my favorite passages of all scripture. And I know what you're thinking. He's insane. His favorite verse is from Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 14, it talks about the tithe. And this is my favorite part. God literally says, if you can't bring the tithe to the temple, and now remember, the tithe back then was not money. It was like cows and fruit and grain and all this stuff put together. So if you can't bring it to the temple, sell it, take your family, go to the temple and buy whatever you want. So let me paraphrase for you. If you can't bring your tithe to the temple, sell it and take your family on vacation. Eat, drink, and be merry and celebrate on my tab. God's literally commanding us to go on vacation, guys. This is awesome, right? So diligence is not just about work. It's also about this balance of carefully and intently doing what God's designed us to do. Right? Even in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, you all know the Ten Commandments. Well, remember the one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're commanded to rest, not just to work. In Proverbs 4, the diligent guard their hearts. In Proverbs 23, the diligent act with discernment. In Proverbs 27, the diligent are good and faithful stewards of their time, treasures, and talent. In 2 Peter, the diligent grow the faith. In Hebrews 6, they minister to others. In Hebrews 11, they seek the Lord. In Hebrews 12, they remove roots of bitterness. And the list just goes on and on, right? This is a long list. But fundamentally, it all breaks down to one principle. In Mark 12, verses 28 through 31, we read this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, the diligent do all things to the glory of God and for the love of their neighbor. The diligent do all things to the glory of God and for the love of their neighbor. They eat to the glory of God. They rest to the glory of God. They play video games to the glory of God. They listen to the glory of God. They are kind to the glory of God. They are generous to the glory of God. Whatever they do, they do to the glory of God. So the diagnostic here for us is really simple. Does God find his good pleasure in what we are doing and why we are doing it? When we work, when we play, when we rest, when we sleep, do we eat, when we eat, does God smile over us? <clears throat> and do we find his good pleasure in the midst of our work and our leisure and our life? You see, it's not enough for us to work hard nine to five, raise some kids, mow the lawn, care for the family, serve the lost, take some vacations. We have to do it all as Christians with a living hope and a God-centered delight in what we cannot see instead of simply seeking our own selfish desires. So we can go back when, to when we sealed the patio that day. Were we being diligent? Were we stewarding our, posi- our possessions? Were our hearts in the right place when we did it? Or was I just a little bitter at my kids having a good time? Right? What about the kids? Were they slothful? 
Or were they having this great time resting in the good pleasure of the Holy Father as Christ smiled at their play and the Holy Spirit enlivened their joy? I'm going to leave that question with you as we diligently pursue to do all things to the glory of God, both individually and as a community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to work and to rest. And we thank you for the ability to do all things to your glory. We ask that you reveal those areas in our lives where we are slothful and that you illuminate us with diligence, uh, giving us hearts that are diligent before you, the care for those around us that spread the gospel and bring glory to you always. We love you and we thank you for this body and for this time and for your word. In your name, amen.